We are in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're looking at verses 9 through 21. Beloved, uh, when it comes to God's word, when it comes to the scriptures, we, what we really need to do is be like Plato. You all familiar with Plato? Played with it when you were a kid? We need to, to let the scriptures mold us and shape us into the people that God desires us to be. That's what I mean. We need to do that, beloved, because it's for our good that we do that, and it's for God's glory that we do that. We need to basically let the Word, the Scriptures, the Bible rule, guide, and direct our lives. Are you with me? That's what we need to do. This morning, we are continuing to look at a series of principles and standards that are laid out for us in God's Word, by which we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Similar to a company's code of conduct, this list of exhortations or commands or rules reveals God's expectations for how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians in this world as well as in the church. Beloved, my prayer is that we would allow Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, to shape us into the people that God wants us to be. I hope that's your prayer as well. I hope that's your desire as well. Otherwise, we're just wasting time. We should be reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, that it might transform us, that it might have its way with us, beloved. Otherwise, what are we doing? And so I pray that is why you're here. And that is what you want the Word of God to do in your life. Let's read our text, beginning in verse 9, chapter 12, all the way through 21. As you know, this is part 4, and there'll be more parts to it. Beginning in verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome 
by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I'm just having a thought here. I think I'm going to, maybe I won't. I'll just talk fast. Okay, so here we go. (laughs) We're going to do review. We've been doing review. I do a little bit every time. And I do that because I believe review is important. In fact, they say repetition is the mother of all learning. You ever heard of it? Repetition is the mother of all learning. We learn, I believe, best through repetition. Just like you hear a song on the radio and you hear it over and over again, and you'll never, ever be able to get those words out of your mind. Even maybe 10 years later, you can hear the song and immediately you know it. Why? Because you heard it over and over and over again. It kind of burned a track inside of your mind. And so it is with learning as well. So quick question, I'm just going to take a little bit of a tangent here, Do you, and again, just talking about how important repetition is and why we need it so badly in review is, do you remember our studies uh, that we did just prior to this last one in our growth groups? It was called Six Steps to Loving Your Church. Do you remember it? How many of you were in it? I want, raise your hand. I want to see. Okay, so not everyone. Okay, so some of you are going to be let off the hook here. <laughs> Uh, we did this at the end of 2014. So what is six steps to loving your church? Well, if you didn't do this study, you know, then some churchgoers might be like, you know, hey, six steps to loving your church. Well, I can tell you what step one is. Play the songs I like. <laughs> That's step one. Step two, have good coffee, you know, these kind of things. Step three, why do you have to preach for over 55 minutes? I don't get it. Why, you know, keep it boiled down to something that I like. Uh, step four, preach what I want to hear, which I may or may not do that on any given Sunday. I'm not, I never, you know, I don't call anybody up and go, hey, how, what would you like me to preach today, right? I don't do that. So if you're looking for that, you're not going to find it here. But that's not what Six Steps to Loving Your Church uh, was about or is about. It wasn't about that. Let me read a description of what it, of what it is from the study itself. It'll show up on the screen. Here it is. It's very common for Christians to regard church as a passive, personal, or receptive experience as being about what I get out of it. At its best, this attitude tends to focus on the quality of the personal worship experience I am having and the personal lessons and encouragement I am receiving. That's at its best. At its worst, It leads Christians to evaluate church on the basis of whether they find it entertaining, enjoyable, or beneficial, to have minimal interaction or participation while they are there, hello, and even to shop around for the church that delivers them the best experience. However, church by its very nature is not, is not, is not a personal experience experience. It is a corporate one. And according to the New Testament, the key attitude we should bring with us to church is love, that consistent desire and determination to build up or edify others and seek their welfare. This plays in a little bit to this section of text we've been looking at. On the basis of love, we should come to church more ready to serve and build than to be entertained or inspired. Just stop for a second. Take it down because they're going to stop. So, take, yeah, they'll read it. Okay. <laughs> I just have one more paragraph and then we'll get to it. 
So, beloved, so the, the kid thing, you know how they were talking about the kids? That is so cute. They want to come, right? They want to come and be with their friends. Thomas was reading it. I love that. That's awesome. I, that's what I expect from children, right? I hope that the children will want to come because, right? But when you grow up, I expect something more, and so does the Scripture. Huh? Yeah. Like, I want to come. What if your children said this? I can't wait to go to church because I can't wait to build up my little buddy, Billy, in Jesus Christ. I can't wait to pray for Billy when I get there. Right? I mean, that would be, you're like, what? But that is what, that is what, that's how adults should speak. That's how, but adults often speak like children. I just, I love Summit because I can't wait to see Billy Billy Bob because Billy Billy Bob makes me feel good and we play together, that kind of thing. But they're not necessarily going there, and that's great, but they're not necessarily going there thinking about, it's more about, I like it because it makes me feel good. Hello. Okay. And that's what we looked at in our Six Steps to Loving Your Church, right? I hope church is a place that you desire to go, but there's, some, it's, there's more. There's, there's more maturity to it than that. You're desiring to go for what reason? Just, to see, just because of what you get out of it? That's that personal approach to church instead of the corporate one. That's not biblical. So the, the writer goes on to say, six steps to loving your church is a simple six-step training program that helps participants change their whole mindset about church to learn that loving your church doesn't just mean enjoying it or liking it, but loving the people who are the church by ministering to them in whatever way you can. Amen. So, for instance, the course discussed, now here we go, the reason it's important to do review and be reminded, the course discussed ways to get at that practically. It talked about how do we do that then? How do we do that? How do we practically love the body of Christ? And so it kind of took you through some steps. One of, maybe you'll remember this, one of the things was show up a little early on Sunday. Why? Yeah. Did you say mingle? (laughs) So we can mingle. All right, mingle. You got your drink. Now go mingle. You know, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> so we did that for a while. We <laughs> we did it, and some people are still doing it. Great, but just a friendly pastoral reminder. Come on, beloved. Come on. Don't be. I don't know if you know, but service does not start sometime between ten fifteen and ten forty five. The service formally starts at ten fifteen. But the idea was get here even before then. Well, what would you do? Well, maybe you'd pay attention to new people walking in. We're not that big. You know what I mean? You'll know if someone's new for the most part. You go, I've never seen them before. And you know that, right? So you see them and you greet them. Why? Because you're a greeter? No, because that's just what you do. Now, we have greeters and we have a hospitality ministry. And we do that because we just want to make sure someone's doing it. <laughs> but it's the body of Christ that should be doing it. Can you imagine? That's the way it's supposed to work, my friends. That's the way it's supposed to work. Or maybe you would just get here a little bit early because this is all monologue, just me talking. You have a little bit of talk back, but you can't really start chit-chatting with the person next to you because if you do, I look at you funny. It's just inappropriate, okay? So you need to do that before the service starts. Chit-chat, mingle, talk to them, find out how you could pray for them, get involved in their lives, meet someone new, invite them over to your house. Ooh, scary, right? Awesome. These are the kind of things we should do as the body of Christ. 
But in order to do that, you got to come early. Now, I get it. Families and just life and age can sometimes make it hard even to get up in the morning or get here on time. I get it. But are you trying? Are you trying? Are you even thinking about that? Or are you just thinking, I'm here at 10, 15 or, or shortly sometime thereafter, and as soon as he stops talking, I'm out. Because the second part of that was, guess what? Stick around after the service. Again, when we went through the study, you know what we did? We did it, like for a few weeks. <laughs> I'd be like, I see people congregating and stuff, chit-chatting, talking. Beloved, that's what we should be doing. And now, why would you do that? I don't know. Maybe you could talk about the sermon. Whoa. You could actually have a conversation about something that the sermon said to you or spoke to you in some way and, and, and chat with the other person, encourage them, and find out what they're thinking, right? Again, you could, I don't know, they gave a recommendation Share a story of God's grace that week. That's encouraging, beloved, to hear someone else tell you what God's doing, the good stuff that God's doing. It's just another reminder. Yeah, God is good. We need to be reminded of that and encourage one another in those ways. So you, review is important. I said all that to say that, I guess. Review is important. We need to be reminded. We are forgetful people. I am a forgetful person. And like you... I can easily fall back into my old habits or way of, of doing things. Any of you can relate to that? So we need to be encouraged again and again and again. That's what I'm trying to do, and that's why I'm doing this with this section. I am going slower on purpose, and I will review the same points that I covered last week and the week before, and I'll do it again and again and again. And I try to draw out maybe something a little bit different to emphasize each time, okay? So that is what we're going to do, but I promise we'll look at maybe a new point No, we will. I have to. I have to. But it's the law. I have to cover something new each time I come up here. (laughs) Let love be genuine. That's the first one. Look at your text. Verse 9. I'm going to do some review now. So I explained to you what that meant. And so if you weren't here, this could be new for you as well. So maybe that will be helpful. We must not turn the church into a stage on which we act as if we love or appear to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, when in reality that is not the case. So as an example of that, I might appear to love the body of Christ by serving the body of Christ in various ways. But if we are serving in order to be seen serving or to be thought well of by others or to receive praise or to try to earn favor with God or to feel good about ourselves or maybe just to try to relieve guilt that we have for sin in our lives. Maybe this will help. If I serve, it'll make me feel better so I won't feel so bad about the sin that I'm not repenting of. Or even if you you do it because you feel like that's what's expected of you, and that's really the only reason you're doing it. Then, beloved, that is not genuine biblical love. Huh? Now, I'm going to confess to you, I don't always exercise genuine biblical love. Huh? Am I the only one? Rather than doing that, we are told by the Apostle Paul to practice sincere and authentic love, a love that could be defined biblically as unselfish, self-giving, and willful devotion. Or better yet, as self 
sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking not one's own benefit, but rather the highest good of the one loved. That's genuine biblical love, my friends. Beloved, listen, concerning this, we all need to check ourselves on a regular basis. Amen? We need to continually examine our hearts and not only be open to the Holy Spirit's conviction regarding this matter of genuine love, but also we're going to need to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to love like this. Exercising this kind of love is truly the result of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. His supernatural work by which we are gradually being conformed over time into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who has perfectly modeled for us the love that we are to show to one another. Let love be genuine. Verse 9, abhor what is evil, abhor what is evil, hate exceedingly all that God hates in your own life and in the life of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's biblical love. That's biblical love. And I said, that's not you standing around with your little pointer, laser pointer going, ooh, I hate your evil, I hate your evil, I hate your evil, I hate your evil. It's not that, but it's being concerned about it, coming alongside them, talking to them, praying for them, instructing them from the Scriptures. It's that kind of thing, beloved. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you. Would you do nothing if you walked into the bathroom here and found one of your fellow Christians shooting up heroin? Would you do nothing? Nope. Why? Huh? Well, I don't... Dangerous? Yeah, heroin's dangerous. It's dangerous. Destructive. You ever see what heroin does to someone's life, beloved? It's addictive. It takes them. It owns them. It masters them. It starts off slow, but over time, it rules them. Sin is is as, if not more, destructive than heroin. It'll master you. It'll own you if you don't put a stop to it, if you're not killing it, if you're not attacking it. So, see, it's so easy for us. Oh, of course, if I saw him doing heroin, I would not just walk out of the bathroom and go, oh, it's none of my business, none of my business. He wants to do heroin, that's his business. You wouldn't do that, would you? No, you wouldn't. And so why do we do that with one another when we have close friends here and we know that maybe they're, they're doing some things they, they, they shouldn't? So we say nothing? We say nothing? We let them continue in that sin? Additionally, instead of laughing at or being entertained by evil, we should be horrified by it. We are to abhor all that is counterproductive to or opposes Christ-likeness. We should make no room in our lives for those things that would turn us away from the Lord or diminish or prevent the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Beloved, we must have no tolerance for whatever deviant behavior this fallen world or sinful culture so readily embraces 
and always seems to be trying to shove down our throats, have no tolerance for us. Abhor what is evil. Three. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 9 as well. Verse 9 as well. Cling to it firmly. Grasp it and don't let go of it. You remember I quoted one writer. He said, holding on tightly to that which is right becomes a necessity in view of our natural inclination to fall back into sin. Beloved, do not let this world that lies under the power of the evil one and consequently calls evil good and good evil, do not let that world define for you what is good, but rather know, know what is truly good by being thoroughly familiar with the word of God. And then lather yourself up with some super glue and bind yourself to it. Paul's saying, hold fast to what is good. Four, love one another with brotherly affection. That's verse 10. That's verse 10. Or as another translation puts it, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. So then we should treat one another in the body of Christ like one would rightly treat their own family because that is what we are a family. We, through our common salvation in Jesus Christ, have all been made part of the redeemed family of God. So then, we should be looking out for one another, caring for each other, encouraging one another, supporting each other, spending time together, and so on. And by the way, we will fail. We will not always do this. We may do the exact opposite, and that's why the Bible instructs us to forgive one another. I mean, if you're going to like, well, I'm going to find a church that does that and does it all the time, that's not going to happen. But I hope we will be a church that is known for these things and is known for forgiveness when we fail to do those things. Huh? We who are saved are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been bound together forever in intimate Fellowship by God, by God. We must not forget that and let the truth of that inter or impact the way that we interact with one another, with the way we treat each other, how we think of each other. Let that change how you think of each other. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's my family forever. Beloved, one reason we should be eager to come here every Sunday is because it is another opportunity to meet with, spend time with, catch up with, speak with, and worship God with our family. It is, if you will, a special weekly family reunion. That's what it is. Five. Ooh, I'm in trouble. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's the last one that I'm going to review, and then we'll step into the new stuff. Outdo one another in showing honor, verse 10. Set the example. That's what Paul's saying. Don't wait around for others to step up. Rather, lead the way in showing honor to one another. Be eager, beloved, to esteem or highly value or bestow value upon your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be eager. Let us show this honor in tangible ways to those for whom Jesus Christ shed his priceless blood. 
to those whom God has chosen to make his beloved and everlasting children. To those whom God has set his saving and everlasting love on. Listen, the church is holy and precious to God. It is. And when we say church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about the people of God. The church, you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are holy and precious to God. Therefore, you must certainly be precious to me as well and to you. Are you with me? Beloved, let us value greatly the people of God. Let us do that. Our everlasting brothers and sisters in Christ outdo one another in showing honor. That was all review. Look back at the text, please. Romans 12, verse 11 says, we're just gonna, we're just gonna break it up. There's three statements here. We're gonna look at each one. We're just gonna do verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal. Now, what is that supposed to mean exactly? Well, let's begin with the word slothful as the ESV translates it, which I believe is a good English word for the Greek word that is there because the Greek word that is there in the uh, manuscript copies was used to refer to a person's slowness or hesitation or reluctance to act. Slowness or hesitation or reluctance to act or to the possession of idleness, to the possession of idleness. And when we look at the English word slothful, it can be defined as a disinclination to action or labor, disinclined towards action or labor, or indolence, indolence, which means an inclination to laziness, an inclination to laziness. You're inclined that way, to be lazy, not to act, not to do, okay? Now, Paul's command is not simply to not be slothful, right? It's just not, do not be slothful, but it's not to be slothful in zeal. Zeal could be defined as eagerness and passionate or enthusiastic interest in pursuit of something, in pursuit of something. And the something here, while not specified by Paul, but based on the context the surrounding passages, would no doubt be our service unto the Lord as Christians or the offering of ourselves to Him as living sacrifices set apart and dedicated to serve Him, which is what we find at the opening section of this chapter, verse 1. So what is Paul's point? Well, I believe Paul is basically telling us to not to become lazy or complacent in our Christian lives, that is, in our pursuit of carrying out the Lord's revealed will for our lives. Or as someone else put it, he said it this way, we are to strongly resist the temptation to lose steam in our lifelong responsibility to reverence God in every aspect of our lives. Don't lose steam. Don't be lazy in zeal. Beloved, we who live under the Lordship of Christ 
should never adopt the attitude that you see too often, or at least I do, in employees today. An attitude of, how little can I do and still get by? You ever seen that? I hope you're not that employee. And if you are, repent. How little can I do and still get by? That should not be the attitude we adopt for the Christian life and what the Lord has called us to do. Because for that, it would sound like this. Well, how little can I do for the Lord and still get by? That is slothful in zeal. As one pastor said, whatever is worth doing in the Lord's service, whatever is worth doing in the Lord's service is worth doing with enthusiasm and care, with diligence, with focus, with energy, with all your might. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to doing the Lord's will, when it comes to serving Him, beloved, we are to, and I kid you not, I wrote this into it before, we are to go hard at it. I, I'm telling you, Chris and I have some link. I'm not sure what it is. Preacher preaches hard. You know, yeah, hard. Of course, he means it a little bit differently, but he's just loud is all he means. But we're to go hard at it, beloved. We are to, we are to enthusiastically give it our all. We must, must not become lazy in living for our King, our Lord, our Savior. Huh? No amen. No enthusiastic amen. Nothing. We must, well, let's try it again. We must not cut that from the table, start over. We must not become lazy in living for our King, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. Yeah, see, that sounds right. That sounds right to me. That sounds, we must not, but it's got to be more than that, right? It's got to be more than that, more than the amen. That amen is followed through by work. Yes. No doubt closely connected to the command to not be slothful in zeal is the next exhortation we find in verse 11. Look back at the text. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. The Greek word translated fervent fervent is a word that was associated with the idea of heat. Heat or something boiling. Heat or something boiling. So what is Paul saying? He's basically saying this. Christian, be on fire for the Lord. Be on fire for the Lord. Many years ago, I used to be part of this network marketing company called Amway. I'll save that for another day. But I I always remember we would go to these, yeah, whatever they were. What do you call that? Conferences. We'd go to the conferences, and you'd have all these rich people get up in front of you because you're hoping to be like them someday, and... And they'd give you these motivational speeches and so on and so forth. And they'd always say after they were done, they're like, are you fired up? And the crowd would be like, we're fired up. Are you fired up? We're fired up. All right, take that out there and do something. Make all your dreams come true, right? And you'd be looking at each other, I'm fired up. And if you didn't, there was something wrong with you. But it's that idea, beloved, kind of. But for something much glorious and grander than financial independence, it's for the Lord. Are you fired up? And I don't mean like, listen, you can be fired up without, you don't have to be all weird. <laughs> I, that's probably the wrong thing to say because I am, I don't mind being weird is what I'm saying. It's okay to be weird or a little crazy. I don't mind that at all, but you don't have to, you don't have to be externally all mad. I'm talking about this is internal. This is internal. There's a heat. There's a passion. There's a fire. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Be fervent in spirit. 
be boiling over for the Lord. Now, my brothers and sisters, if you're like me, guess what? And I know you are in some ways. I hope not in all of them because that would make us all crazy. <laughs> you don't always, you're not always in compliance with this. You're not fired up. Hmm? You may even say, I'm not even simmering. There's no heat to that water at all. It's, it's cold. Huh? Now, Paul doesn't specifically address it here, but I feel like we need to. There is a solution when you find yourself not really fired up or on fire for the Lord, or maybe even cold, as I said, and and that is this, beloved. There's probably more that could be said, but let me say this as the primary thing, and I addressed it a little bit just in the fact that in the membership process and giving out that book, we need to, when we feel that, and I would say we need to be doing this all the time so we don't move towards that, so the fire doesn't go out, but we need to be rehearsing and repeating the truths of the gospel to ourselves and to one another. Beloved, by the time I get up here on Sunday morning, I am fired up because I've just sung the truths of the gospel. Now, sometimes I come in and my mind's wandering, so I try to discipline myself. Don't wander. Hear those words, sing those words, and let the full weight of all that they mean have their way with your heart, Jeremy. And it prepares me to come up here and deliver you the, the holy word of God. So I, I need that. But I also need my brothers and sisters, just like you, we need one another, rehearsing these truths to each other. And we need to be doing it to ourselves because we're not always around each other. Often, we're in the midst of enemy territory. And they certainly aren't going to rehearse the truths of the gospel, but they're going to rehearse something else that's counterproductive to the gospel. By the way, Paul can say these kind of things because he's already laid out the gospel in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So he's already, he's already set the foundation. Listen to what one pastor says concerning this. And this passage, he says, Jesus Christ and the gospel should make your spirit boil. The good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners should excite you. The glorious fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, that's a scripture passage, should stir your heart. Let the many mercies of God that rescued you from condemnation fuel the fires of passion for Christ. Don't be lukewarm about such wonderful truths. Be fervent in spirit as you serve the Lord. Beloved, there's no pill. Like, you know, there's no pill you can take for this. Like, hey, I'm, I'm a little down on the Lord and all that. I'm not feeling this, this fervency in my spirit. Do you have a pill? I know that's the solution it appears to be for everything else in our lives, which I don't think is a good one, but it's not the solution here. We have to think rightly. We have to think biblically. We have to think on the gospel. One more. Same guy. I like this guy. He said this. That's not it, but he, <laughs> he, he said this as well. If you have trusted in Christ, but your love for him has grown cold because you have forgotten the many mercies of his love for you on the cross, then you need to park yourself at the foot of the cross. Park yourself there. Hey, beloved, here's what I would say. Don't ever leave. Don't ever leave. 
just have a permanent spot at the foot of the cross. Morning, afternoon, evening. During your darkest hours, be at the foot of the cross. During your greatest hours, don't leave the foot of the cross. And that book I handed out this morning really kind of emphasizes that. I, we sing that song, Come As You Are, and there's a line in there. And I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times I've repeated that in the past several months to myself. Earth has no sorrow <laughs> that heaven can't heal. Huh? See, that, that takes that heart that's hurting or broken or cold or anything like that, and it just lights it up immediately. It makes me want to go at it even harder for the Lord. Don't give up, Jeremy. Don't give up. And I find the power and the motivation right there. Where? In myself? No. I constantly am fighting with myself about these things. I find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we're skipping a lot of stuff, and that's okay. But I want to finish just this thing here. And we'll, we'll just skip forward to all the way to 12.11. All the way to 12.11. We'll look at it one more time. Look back at verse 11. Again, there was a lot of stuff in between. Do not be slothful in zeal. It's the final one. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That's the last uh, exhortation there. The word serve here, okay? The word serve here translates a Greek word that refers to the service of a slave. That's the word Paul uses. This command then serves as an important reminder that the Lord is the Christian's master. He's his master, and as such, his will for our lives must be the priority of our lives. It must be. We are not our own beloved, but we have been bought with a price. Look it up, 1 Corinthians 3.23, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, chapter 7, verse 23, 1 Corinthians. We are not our own. He purchased us. We belong to him. And we owe our allegiance and full devotion to Him. We must serve the Lord. One writer says this, There is a fundamental difference between slaves and volunteers. Volunteers choose when and how they serve. Slaves are on call day and night, whether they feel like serving or not. Volunteers can quit serving if they get tired, and they often do. Slaves are slaves for life. The master may change their duties, but they aren't free to quit. They aren't free to quit. Another writer, and, and you may remember this, you may not, and it's, it's not on our website. For some reason, didn't record that day, but it was one of the first messages I did on Romans 1. It was Romans 1, 1a, because Paul introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. But the word there is slave. It's slave. It's the same word being used here, but it's the service of a slave. Serve the Lord. So Paul's not asking us to do anything that he is not doing himself as well. And again, I explained when I went through that passage or that message, leave out all the connotations of the wicked American slavery and all that vileness out of this discussion. That's not what's going on here. But there was servitude and there was slavery in the first century church and it was understood in this way, and this is exactly, he's taking that word, he's bringing it over, and he says, Jesus is your master. He's using these images. He's your master. He's purchased you. He owns you. Serve him in that way. So, 
concerning that, I quoted somebody who wrote a book on that particular issue of, of that word, and this is what I said, and I just want to remind you of it again. It's a long time ago. To be someone's slave was to be his possession. Again, first century kind of thinking, bound to obey his will without hesitation or argument. This reality has major implications for our understanding of the gospel. Remember that gospel I said to preach to yourself? Okay. Christ's call to follow him is not simply an invitation to become his associate, but a mandate to become a slave. That message is especially needed in American culture where a man-centered, centered, feel-good, cheap grace gospel has become so popular. But nothing could be farther from the biblical reality. Christian brothers and sisters, we are to render to the Lord the service of a slave because that is what we are. We are slaves of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our master purchased us with his very blood. And we can praise God that this master is a a loving, just, righteous master. Here is our Christian code of conduct so far. One more time. One, let love be genuine. Let's do this. Read it with me. One, let love be genuine. Two, abhor what is evil. Three, hold fast to what is good. Four, love one another with brotherly affection. Five, Outdo one another in showing honor. Six, do not be slothful in zeal. Seven, be fervent in spirit. And eight, serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I just, I thank you for, I thank you for every Sunday. I thank you for every time we get to get together as the body of Christ I am always encouraged and blessed and moved by it and, uh, and transformed by it as well as your spirit takes his word and, and begins to apply it to my life. Father, I thank you for these things. I thank you for this section of your word, Lord, and I pray. I pray that everyone here would just let it have its way. Let it work in our lives. Let it do what it is supposed to do. And so, Lord, we, can't, we shouldn't turn away from it. We shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't deny it. We shouldn't resist it. But we should humbly come before it and say, Father, this is what I want to be true of my life. I want to be living out these things. I want to be in compliance with it. And where I am not, help me see it that I might repent of it. And, Father, where I am to the degree that I am, I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you thanks. Because that is an indication of the Spirit's work in my life. And Father, I know that there will be times where we try to do these things in our own strength. Foolishness. Foolishness, yes, Father. We behave as fools sometimes. Lord, remind us, and may we not forget, it is the Spirit's work. May we rely on His power, His supernatural power to comply with Your Word in a way that brings You honor, in a way that truly fulfills it. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for your word. We ask your blessing on it all. In Christ's name, amen.